realize I don't quite know how to hit the post on that one. I hadn't practiced it. But this is Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. This is the 25th anniversary of the absolutely wonderful, amazing, beautiful, influential, seminal, seminal record, Firewater. And uh, this is Nerves. And I'm sitting here with uh, Mr. Tim Diet, a many, many time guest of the show, and who has agreed to uh, humor me and to go through these in forensic detail uh, this excellent record and tell us a little more about it hi tim thanks for coming on man hey yeah you bet thanks for having me man so first of all 25 goddamn years man that's a that, that's a that's a stretch long time yeah that's uh, half a lifetime ago for me a little almost half a lifetime so it's impressive i guess that we've lived this long and the record's still around people are still sort of talking about it well indeed and it's something that i think that Firewater's a record that uh, people seem to glom onto, and you know, new mm-hmm. kids kind of find it every year, uh, kind of that kind of situation, which is great. I mean, you kind of, I suppose, in the back of your mind, you kind of hope that for that for any record. But yeah, uh, it's actually the second record I came into. I came in uh, with a developer, and mm-hmm. uh, went backwards to Firewater, and I was like, I was like, oh, uh, these are these are some. Wow, this is like the rock record. Okay, this is cool. And I kind of <laughs> kind of went backwards and then went forwards with it, but uh, it, it took me. It took me a long time to realize it was a concept record basically about drinking or at least the songs were largely about the drink yeah it's a sort of a metaphor i think about being uh uh captive to to something trying to feel something trying to jolt yourself out of reality you know to some degree so that that's that was sort of the vehicle for de- describing that that uh thing that people try to do you know, through whatever means. Right. And firewater. I mean, gosh, what a freaking amazing term for that. Right. I mean, that's like <laughs> firewater. That's perfect. If it, if it had not been already defined, you would have to define it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you always know that the album cover was going to be what it was or did it just present itself to you? No, um, we didn't have, we didn't have a, a, like a concept or anything for the record. We just made it. And then we realized that somehow we we'd bounced off each other and written all these songs about uh, being dissolute. And um, I gave a, a tape of it to my buddy Hiroshi, who, um, who I had just met. Um, he brought some uh, paintings into the record store where I worked and showed them to the guy I worked for. And because um, he was friends with him, this guy, Bob Jenniker, who was my buddy who ran Park Avenue Records in Seattle. But anyway, I really liked the art and I asked him if he ever thought about doing album covers. He's like, Oh sure. If you want, you know, and I gave him a tape. We went to his studio and he showed us some ideas and they were cool or whatever. But then there was a sketch in blue pencil of the album cover and, um, yeah. uh, which is right here. And he, uh, and I was like, what the hell is this? And he's like, Oh, that's just a idea I had. And I was like, no, this is, this is it, man. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta paint that. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. So that was it. Well, it catches the attention because it's the kind of thing where, especially, uh, even, you know, when I found it, it was sort of like the, for lack of a better term, like the CD era. But especially with the vinyl, you're, you're like, whoa, yeah. what is yeah, this? <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, it's like, what's happening to this guy? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's being it's, is he being tortured? He doesn't look. He looks pretty he happy. He looks pretty stoked about it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing coming out of my favorite thing. Is, one of my favorite thing is of uh, many. There's nothing coming out of the bottle. Yeah. Because it's empty. You know, he's taught this guy off like this wine bong is like basically gone. 
and it's down here in his little tummy, you know. Yeah. And I've got these chucks under the under the under the thing. There's just so many things about it that are perfect. And then, um, uh, and then I always imagined that these were supposed to be us. I don't know. That's either Andy or me, and that's either Andy or me, and that would be. Of course, questions. of course, you're talking for for the folks just listening on the audio. You're you're pointing to the back cover where there's the uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the apparatus is. I'll, I'll just call it an apparatus. Yeah, that's there's that. The, the I think that must apparatus. be Andy. <laughs> this must be Andy because of that. And uh, <laughs> which would make the prone that, dude Michael? <laughs> well, Andy, Andy used to be a donator at a bank. If you know what I mean? Oh, oh. Uh, that's how he made money. There are probably a lot of little Andys running around, just you know, FYI. But so I don't never thought about that. But and I don't think Hiroshi knew that. But still, and then I don't know what this is. You know, some kind of injection. <laughs> but anyway, it's a really creepy album cover, and I friggin' love it. A friend of mine has the painting, and I wish I had had enough money to buy the painting at the time. And then Hiroshi did these two, which are also perfect. You know. Yeah, there's there's the um, it almost looks like a bubble wand uh, kind of uh, acid giver spoon medicine situation, <laughs> yeah. and then there's a yeah. hand in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It was just when I saw that, I was like, oh, this guy's in tune. You know, he understands what we're doing, and uh, that was a good feeling. It wasn't just going to be a cool picture on the cover. It was actually like super evocative of the record so, um and right. that helps a lot when you can do that with an album if you have a crappy cover you know it can really destroy <laughs> the, the record for me it does you yeah. know if a record i like gets reissued and it has a crappy cover and i look at it and i'm like that doesn't look like like uh... um but the second go betweens album or whatever <laughs> yeah and it, and it's also interesting to me that it's it, it feels like it's a like the album art being as I know, audacious may not be the right word, but the album art being as eye-catching as it is, it's also interesting because it's, you know, th- this is the first one uh, without Joel, too. Yeah. So it was sort of like a re- mm-hmm. re-envisioning of the band, kind of a progression for the band. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't realize at the time because I was just some dumb kid who didn't know who the hell you were and just was like, oh, it's a cool <laughs> record cover. But, uh, I mean, that obviously factored into the songwriting. I know we've talked about that previously. Yeah. Uh, you know, did it, did it feel weird like doing a record without Joel? Were you excited? Like, what were you guys no. at as a headspace? You know, I, there's no way for me to really say this without sounding like it's a diss on Joel, but it's not because Joel's one of the most, one of the best musicians I've ever met in my life. And I love yeah. his music. He's one of my favorite guitar players of all time and great, great singer, um, great writer. But, you know, when he left the band, it was just, it was surprisingly smooth. I mean, we just started practicing and, and, you know, the thing is when you have, um, a bunch of good people who are talented and you, you take one of them out of the mix, you still have a bunch of people who are talented. <laughs> There's just one fewer, you know, it's not like a right. two to one. Um, and Andy is such a monster guitar player. He was kind of off the leash at that point and he, he didn't have to try to integrate what he was doing with Joel so he just like blew up and the main thing I would say about the record is it's a guitar record and the guitar playing on it the guitar playing on the records before that was great too but it was different it was more interwoven and this was just like you know it, it, it hits way different face. yeah yeah and, and that's so uh you know I don't need an excuse to listen to the record but of course I listened to it you know a couple times just you know thinking about it in terms of what we're going to be doing here and that was right. the first thing I thought of was like 
god damn this is like a ripping guitar record like it's just like yeah it's almost like you feel like andy got let off the leash to a certain degree he did (laughs) yeah it's out it's outstanding i mean the yeah no no one i mean nobody plays better lead guitar than he does and that was sort of his even though he played tons of guitar in the other records this was kind of to me his like almost like coming out to the world is like hey you know this is my bag <laughs> and and it was very true live too like he would just just destroy those songs live you know most of the time so well yeah. and that and that's something that i kind of want to when we're going through the songs uh individually which we were which we we're going to do for folks that tuned in exclusively just for that mm-hmm. but i figured we get a little background as well uh one of the things i kind of want to think about is in terms of the you know memories behind each of the song maybe you know if, you, if there's like lyrical things Sure. Uh, songwriting parts, et cetera, et cetera, but also where you were, you were at the times. Something I'd also like to bring up because this is interesting to me. Even though I saw you guys a few times, what mm-hmm. songs work live and what songs don't, like that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. And and just kind of, uh, you know, we got time, we got time. But that's yeah. kind of where where I'm looking to get at with details. Just because, again, as a record that touched a lot of people and is you know uh, something that people come back to all the time, myself included. I think that's kind of interesting. I think that gets kind of lost when you're talking about the overall picture, especially for an artist such as yourself that has so many records and uh, mm-hmm. you know so much awesome stuff to talk about. I, as per normal, I can't remember a single thing we've talked about any of the times you've ever been on. But <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind going to that level of detail, I think this is the time to do it. No, great, yeah. So let's just start off with the fact that uh, we started with nerves, and. <laughs> That's a hell of an opening line. No more simple tunes, no more easy poon. Was there, was there ever any kind of like, oh, hmm, that's, that's, that's the line? Okay. Or, or, or did it just make sense? I think we thought it was great, you know. It's always funny. It was always funny to me because Andy was always, of the three of us, he was the one who was kind of itching the most. This isn't saying much because we didn't have much ambition commercially, but he was the one who was always sort of like, semi like wanting to be able to be seduced by that like i think he saw this the appeal of it and you know later he played with bush and stuff and mostly because of that record he played with bush on a tour because they needed a filling guitar player uh and they loved that record so um but anyway despite that he was always the one who just put the kibosh on that by putting shit like that into it. So yeah, like, yeah. You know, or, or, you know, the chorus is, God damn. Yeah. And uh, when we were on Matador, looking back on it, you know, the single, quote, single of the record is a song about Firecracker, which is good, but it's not Nerves. Nerves is amazing. Yeah. And uh, and um, even at the time, I think we were like, well, Nerves is better, but whatever Matador knows best. And they couldn't, they felt they couldn't do it because it had, you know, and goddamn it, I guess. But which just goes to show you it was very different times, right? I mean, <laughs> well, very different times, and he just sort of trashed it. Yeah, Willie, you know, just like he just trashed it, you know, by by doing that. But the song's ten times better than it would be if it had some boring in there, I'm sure. I mean, just like out of the gate, there's that just you know, like those those chords were just yeah. it's like a statement of intent. And again, talking back to you know yeah. this being the transition record uh, towards your, you guys being a trio. Like, it's sort of just out of the gate, swinging. Like, yeah, immediately. it's great. It's called Nerves because we thought it was the closest we'd ever sound to Nirvana. So we, we called it Nerves. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
That's great. Um, and it just stuck, you know, it was a working title that stuck. But we recorded that and three other songs, uh, Wet Fire Cracker, we did a version of Slow Hands, what was the other one? That we, uh, Swings. We did, you know, some of the best songs on the record, we did in Missoula uh, during a snowstorm over Thanksgiving. We flew Steve and his then girlfriend, Heather, who's now his wife, who we didn't know at the time. Of course, she's a great friend of ours now, but yeah, we flew them out to Missoula. Yeah, we flew down to Missoula and um, recorded at KUFM, which is a public radio station there, where we made our first demo tapes back in the 80s. These tapes, Advantage and Girl Harbor, we made them at this, in this 1HA track machine there. And we knew that it was a good machine from talking to Steve, so we flew him out there and we recorded on that machine. And at the time we made that record, we made those four songs there, we had no record label. Libertine had come out, our second or third album. That's and, right. That was like uh, a CZ, right? If I remember right. Uh, uh, no, Libertine was post CZ. It was on El Recuerdo. Oh, some, that's uh, right. Some uh, guys who uh, abdicated from CZ. Good for them. Uh, they um, <laughs> they they put out Libertine. But you know, we didn't have a label. Is my point. And so we were in very much in flux. Had no idea what we were going to do. And we we're like, well, we have these songs. Let's pay to have Steve come out to Missoula and we'll meet him there because Andy and I could go out for Thanksgiving and uh, we'll record them and we recorded them and those four songs ended up being kind of like the demo tape that got assigned to Matador. We we didn't have a label and Steve was like, we were bemoaning that and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, I want to be on Touch and Go or Matador. And he's like, well, send him tapes. So we did that and then they're both like, okay, great, we'll put out your album. <laughs> Like there are two favorite labels in the country, and we're right. like, oh, if I knew it was that easy, I would have done that like five <laughs> years ago. Right, exactly. But we weren't good enough, probably back then, or you know, whatever. But Matador gave us a lot of money, and um, but you know, at the time, when I say a lot of money, I mean because we were twenty five thousand dollars in debt uh, from credit cards and stuff. But you know, that was a state we were in when we made recorded that tune, and and a third of the record, we had no. We didn't have a, a, a place to put out our records. We had no idea what the future held for us. We were just continuing to do our thing. And that's what the sound of that is. We even mixed it on like a shitty um, Ampex 406, which is kind of crappy tape. It's mm. like, you know how you have chrome tape? Yeah, yeah. Cassettes, normal tape. It was like the normal tape version of the tape. <laughs> it was like a Radio Shack version of the tape. I was going to say, the, 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 the discount pack, like the buy in bulk it, it, value. Well, then we went to Chicago to mix the other stuff, and we were like, well, let's remix those songs we did in Missoula. And we started trying, and we're like, what are we? Let's play the original one. And we played it back, and we're like, fuck it. It's done. It, yeah. Who cares? It has tape tests or whatever, but it sounds great. you know. So we quit trying to fix it but um yeah that's the story behind that tune and i think it's an awesome song and uh i really love all the playing on it michael plays great on it the bass playing is great on it i have to say and andy's you know out of control it's yeah pretty good it's it's a, yeah. a it's a great it's a great first song like i said a statement of intent song, <laughs> yeah. right it's it sort of lets you know yeah, what's it, up immediately if you don't like that, you should just take the record yeah. off. Turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, push push pause yeah. on the Spotify. Take the needle off the record. Yeah. It's not for you. It's not for you. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention the. Yeah, that was your first record on Matador, and uh, mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's good to know you did in fact call your friend Gerard 
uh, early on. <laughs> yeah, later on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, we. I was shocked. You know, I thought it was going to be this whole thing where we'd have to find some friends to give us money to put out an album, and then all of a sudden, the two labels that I was really would like to have been on were both wanting to do it. So that was great. Yeah, that's like two supermodels are like, sure, I'll date you. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, not yeah. to like, not to like be gross about it or anything, but just like, wow. No, that's... you're right. <laughs> okay. You're right. Oh, all of a sudden the cheerleaders really like me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Matador really went to the mat for that record. Uh, Gerard was convinced that we had, this has happened to us a few times. It happened with Corey too, when he put out lifestyle, um, he was convinced that it was like something. That, yeah. that it was going to be it's like over. slanted this, and enchanted this, this, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course it wasn't. It was us and it was weird. And um, So, you know, not that it's not great, but um, so, you know, they, they, we had not quite carte blanche, but we talked them into giving us a really good record deal that was good for two records. It was a little too good um, to be more than that. And, um, and then, um, you know, we got to make a double album and we got to do that crazy. The original album has this crazy heavy cardboard cover yeah. and we didn't want to do a digital scan of the painting. So we're like, no, we have to do like a old school film, you know, shoot the films and do all that shit. And which was probably the right thing to do back in the 90s because the digital stuff looked like shit back then. But um, <laughs> so it, it was hasn't it, held up. In the West it it, it actually way, has an artifact terrible. kind of feel of like looking like a 90s record now. Yeah, it looks like crap. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the reasons the record looks so amazing is uh, besides the quality of the painting and stuff is that we did. We took the time to do that. So, But uh, yeah, um, we were lucky that they they did that, that they they let us kind of go balls out unpackaging and everything you know mastering all that stuff nerves as a live song uh it was record all the instruments were live yeah um it was a track you know so we couldn't really overdub all that stuff we did at in missoula is live except for the vocal yeah yep i, I meant if you played it live but that's fantastic oh, oh yeah. we played it live <laughs> constantly we played it live constantly. Yeah. 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 I, guess I, I, I know the answer to that question. I've seen you play it a, a couple times. But like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most of the songs on this record, we played live kind of a lot. Um, there's some sort of uh, uh, transitional songs or like Mir Miracle Mile. We didn't play that live. Um, but in general, you know, we cut our teeth as a live band and, and we had to record as a live band most of the time. So because uh, we didn't have time to fuck around, you know. Um, so, yeah, that song we've got played all the time. Though. We love playing it. Yeah, how could yeah. he not? It's, it's, it seems like it'd be very satisfying to play. Yeah, it's great. It's just <laughs> super driving, and it's an awesome tune. So, second up is, is, is Drunk. Cool. So, Drunk was a song, I wrote that before I figured out how to do anything with a key to like make things comfortable for myself singing wise and a lot of the hallmarks of silkworm i think are us pushing ourselves to our limits overall but especially vocally there's a lot of shit that would have been quote unquote better if we just knocked it down a step and a half but we never did that we just made it sound good instrumentally we could usually never hear the vocals that well in practice and then you get in the studio and you've got to try to like 
crank this thing out. So I sang that whole thing high in the studio. And it was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it got really irritating. Uh, even to me, you know. Well, maybe especially to me. But so then I did the thing where I sang some low and some high. I don't know. It worked okay. It was well, better the, live, honestly. That was one of the things that kind of originally drew me to the song. I was like, although he's like almost like out, singing out of his range at first, and then he like drops yeah. it low, and that's kind of cool. So like it made weird. me think about that. Like it was. I guess it's cool. I don't know. It was what I had to do. <laughs> Make it work. <laughs> I like the song. There's a reference in there to Blues Farm Wine. Yeah. But, uh, me and Joel Phelps used to drink that sometimes. The last time I drank it, uh, back when I still drank, we went to a party and uh, we both got jugs of Boone's Farm. And mine was Green Apple, which is referenced in the song. And I drank half of it. And then I became convinced that it didn't have alcohol in it, that the liquor yeah. store ripped me off because I was underage. So I went in the kitchen and I found this huge bottle of vodka and I filled the Boone's Farm bottle back up. So it was, it had been all Boone's Farm, then it was half Boone's Farm, then it was half Boone's Farm and vodka. And, vodka uh. and I shook it up and I pounded it in like an hour. And then, uh, cause that's how I, that's how I rolled. And then, my stomach um, flipped like twice by you saying yeah. that. I was like, oh. I eventually made it home. I walked home and uh, I spent the night in the bathroom. Oh God! You know it's funny. Like anytime I, right, right, right. The the, the rare time (laughs) that I see Boone's Farm wine, which was already a punchline uh, where I grew up in the Central Valley of of California, I I love that there's like drinking advice within the song. Like I'm trying to think of other songs (laughs) that do that because because you what is that? May I suggest a draft to digest sugar in that Boone's Farm wine? And I was like. Huh, that's really cool. Like, so is that something where was that uh, brought on by your mixing the vodka and the and the boots? From what you thinking about? Probably. Like... I mean, as a as a hard drinker in my teens, I didn't. The only times I got sick were when I did something like that. I mean, you know that saying: uh, liquor before beer, never fear. Beer before liquor, never sicker. So this yep. was Boone's Farm before liquor, or Boone's <laughs> Farm and then Boone's Farm and liquor, and just drinking like. You know, a fifth of vodka and a jug of boots. It's a pretty bad idea. But if I started off with the vodka, I would have been fine. But I did. Also, uh, another favorite line in that song from me is the uh, "Never ask you to swim in that soup bowl of contempt." Yeah, so full which of is wine kind of and bar mop slop. Yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole thing, the whole thing is like kind of like uh, like almost a word salad, but it's such an evocative, it's such an evocative image, and it's something yeah, that I mean, like I really think- caught my attention early on. One of the things that strikes me about these records, my songs in particular, is just how wordy they are. Like, I don't do that anymore. Because um, I like hearing the music, I guess. But at the time, it was kind of, the band was full of this kind of giddy, sort of headlong, rushing kind of excitement, especially at that time. Because we'd, um, I mean, the band was great with Joel, but he was over it by the end, you know? So there was a lot yeah. that we all had to deal with, all of us getting through that final stage of him being in the band and then when he split it was very painful the split for all of us but you know then we were just like oh shit we can do whatever we want you know so there's just like <laughs> yeah, you have one quality. less opinion in it yeah <laughs> yeah and that's how you end up with a record that's an hour long you know right 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 at that point uh, even though we'd put out two records in 94 we still made a double album right after that. And that's, that's how that happens. You know, you get excited. 
Well, I mean, it occurs to me that it, the whole thing kind of just sounds like you're just <clears throat> almost drunk on possibility and, and just yeah. raring to go, you know, just going. Yeah, we're, we're excited. And, you know, we were the kind of band that we toured all the time. I mean, that year that that record came out, we probably toured six months of the year, which is a hell of a lot when you don't make any money. I mean, it's, <laughs> one, it's, it, it's one thing if you're a band that gets you know, several hundred dollars a night <laughs> and you could pay for a Motel 6 every night, but, or whatever, but we made like, whatever, it, you know, wasn't very much. And we were sleeping kind of wherever and just like taking showers whenever we could and yeah, eating Taco Bell all the time and shit. So we, but we loved doing it so much that we were just grinding it out because it felt good, you know, to do it. So, Yeah. Yeah, we were drunk on something. I don't know. <laughs> but the what weird is thing the... is, we never had any delusions. I don't think. Like, I don't yeah. remember ever thinking. Gerard thinks this is the one. You know, we're gonna. <laughs> what I remember, what I remember thinking is, Gerard Cosley thinks he's gonna sell our records, so they want to give us a twenty-five thousand dollars advance and a big publishing deal. So fuck it, we'll take it. And. uh you know, I guess we should tour a lot. So let's we'll pay ourselves two thousand dollars a month. <laughs> go, uh, go on tour. You know, for half a year and see what happens. And it happened. <laughs> That's awesome. happened. Yeah. And so it yeah. did. And so it did. The uh, so then. Oh, anything? Any notes for uh, recording on that, or anything notable? No, I just remember we did it at. Uh, God, we either did it at Steve's or at CRC. We recorded a lot of the record at Chicago Recording Company from the 6 p.m. to, to whenever slot, the overnight slot, because it was cheap and Steve could get the time for cheap. And um, during that recording, uh, Pearl Jam was auditioning drummers via at CRC in another studio. And I remember playing bass through my bass man, which is like 50 watts, and someone came in to ask us to turn down because we were disturbing. Pearl Jam and the drummer audition, <laughs> and we we didn't turn down. Yeah. Sir, you're disturbing Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you're disturbing Pearl Jam's drummer auditions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Please, <laughs> I can't blame him. Please, it's probably irritating. <laughs> yeah. So then, um, so anything else for drunk? That's that's drunk. That's song two. No, I like that song. We played it a lot live, and I do think it was better live it was a little i got the hang of singing it after a while i probably when we recorded didn't quite have it down so that's just minor regret on my part <laughs> it's sort of like you, you you make your bed you gotta lie in it right and it's like oh, yeah well, that's the way it is guess that's yep. what it did okay yeah <laughs> uh so then next up is, is the song that for lack of a better term was sort of identified as the single by some people right you know wet firecracker this is uh yeah this is this is a jam. This is I feel like this is a song you can play for people that are cash fans. <laughs> yeah. And they'll 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 kind of get it. Um, a ripper yeah. though. Also like a ripper of a tune. Like it's it's a good song. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's I mean in retrospect, those kinds of straightforward uh, sort of popular songs are they're cool and stuff, but that wasn't our wheelhouse and I think we were better when we were a little more um, uh, little weirder or something but it's a good song and it's constructed in a very sort of if i can say so myself clever way where the 
first verse and the I can't remember how it goes. The first verse and the cor- and the second verse are like inverted somehow. And I can't remember exactly what I did on it. But I like switched the chords around in a way where the second verse is not the same chords, but they're related. And like, it's almost like a mirror image thing. I can't remember exactly what I did. But um, it's got a good part where the guitars drop out, the drums just play, that's cool. Yeah. And we made a video for that, the only video we ever made, which we had to do. Um, and it cost the same amount that it cost to record the whole goddamn album. And um, <laughs> it got played like once on MTV. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of dumb video nothing against david Plyler who, who made it it has more to do with us and our lack of uh imagination probably did, did you uh, did you feel like that was a bit of a stretch like you did you feel like that was kind of like you know oh, we're not really a video kind of band like why are we why are, yeah. we, doing, why are we doing this you know we're not to go back to pearl jam you know we weren't climbing up on the um the main stacks you know like in the even flow video <laughs> yeah I mean, when I saw the Evenflow video, I knew Pearl Jam was going to be huge. Yeah, because of that. Because <laughs> right. that guy is, was like, a, he's a front man, you know. He knows how it goes, and um, we would just kind of stand there, rocking back and forth, going blah, 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 yeah, all the time. And no one wants to watch that unless you're at the show. And um, I don't know. The vid- I hate videos generally, you know. But we made one, and that's the way it goes. It wasn't. It wasn't embarrassing to me at the time, and I could probably watch it now and not feel too bad about it. Well, and it's also, it's a snapshot in time too, right? Like it's, it's you guys at that age, which is kind of nice, you know, I would imagine. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It has my friend Greg Anderson's El Camino in it. Oh yeah. Well, there was an El Camino. I didn't know it was, it was, uh, it was Greg Anderson's, but there you go. That was Greg's, Greg's El Camino. Yeah. Rusted out. Rusted out El Camino. Yeah. Uh, the... So so there's a lot of there's a lot of good lines on that one. Um, yeah. That and, that and, song is about that song is about my roommate in college who I won't say his full name cuz I don't want to embarrass him his name is John. And um when I when I came to first came to school, I got to the dorm room and I just picked a dorm room where you could smoke. Like, cause I, I don't know why. That, 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 that I was didn't the smoke motivating that concern of the dorm room. <laughs> but I wanted to smoke in my room, and I wanted to have a cafeteria in the basement. So I picked this this dorm. It was a total party dorm, unbeknownst to me, which worked out fine, on the north side of campus. And this fellow, John, was my roommate. And I go into the room the first day, and on one wall of the, the dorm room is a Confederate flag tapestry. Wow. And on the other wall is an Iron Maiden tapestry. Wow. And I was like, shit, I fucked up. <laughs> you know where you are. You're in yeah, the jungle. But John John is a very nice guy. We got along great. We both like to uh, party, as they say. Right. So that song is about John partying his way out of Northwestern University. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily me just, just, just dodging the bullet there. So. Um, yeah, that's what that's about. It, it's, I think I, more you know, or less. one thing I actually do remember from our previous conversations is that that's a song I've heard covered now and again. It's never quite the same. It's never, it doesn't quite hit exactly the same, but no, there's some tricks in there that, uh, not like it's anything magic, but there's some little things in there that you wouldn't do. You wouldn't know to duplicate unless you knew what they were. Yeah. I don't even remember where they are. 
I just know they were weird bits. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's notable. And it, but it's also when the scene's like, oh, if you see a band play a silkworm cover, cover, you know, like, okay, that's shorthand in, in some ways that you, you know you're going to... It's usually too bar chordy, I think. There are too many fifths when people play it. That's a hint for anyone who cares. Avoid the fifths, Pro- as I recall. Protonic reversal exclusive. Avoid the fifths. Andy has this way of playing open chords so they sound like big, meaty bar chords. And I don't know what he does, but he has... There are a few different things that he does with fingerings to spread it out a little bit. So it's not sort of yeah. And um, you'd have to talk to him about that. But. Uh, that song, live favorite. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. Rips. We played it a lot for a while. It's a gimme. Not very much at all <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get sick of it? We ever, did you ever feel like it was like, a, yeah. like, formu- like, you know, formulaic or just like not yeah. really? Yeah. Well, just kind of like I said before, like, it's us trying something on and doing it and doing a fine job. But, you know, a song like um, Slow Hands, which is the next song, I think, that's prototypical worm and got played forever after we learned it. Well, and so last thing with Wet Firecracker, and again, for the the younger listeners or I guess maybe the ones that don't pay that close attention, I mean, that was the kind of time that, you know, that could have been like a, a... yeah, maybe that's a little later, but like a cut your hair or like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, had, had that moment. Like it had that vibe of like, you know, if this if this were to hit right, like it would make sense that, hey, why don't you guys do a video? Like that makes sense. You know what I mean? Based I upon suppose. The, the con- but from the outside <laughs> perspective. Uh, anyway. When I go back and listen to this shit now, um, I usually think it's awesome. But I also completely understand why it sold exactly as many records as it sold <laughs> you know like it's pretty weird music in in a not super obvious way you know right it's not like weird like consciously weird music it's, there's something about it that's just a little bit touched and um i don't know i wouldn't make music like that now and i'm glad we did it then but you know, I totally understand why Gerard didn't make his money back on that record. Right. That <laughs> well, but, but it's also like, what was that? So it's 96, right? So this is like kind of right right at the tail end of the gold rush when major labels kind of figured out oh, yeah. how to like manufacture their own bands, you know, where it's yeah, like, right. oh, we don't need to like find bands. We can just make our own. No. Yeah, we can make our own Seattle wherever we want. Exactly. In the studio. <laughs> yeah. It really helped to be from Seattle back then. Got a lot of good dinners out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's talk about Slow Hands, which is uh, kind of a, a silkworm all time for me. Like, I think that's a that, that's a kind of one of many. No, no. Sit down. You got to listen to this kind of tunes. Tell mm-hmm. me about Slow Hands. Well, Andy had uh, a friend named John Luke in college, and I don't know if it's really about him or if we just took his name. We He was listening. We all listened to... Um, basement tapes a lot Mm -hmm. Bob Dylan and Van basement tapes that was a Van favorite we listened to it like about a million times of course later with Steve Malkmus we had this thing the Crest Brothers and our first show we did a whole bunch of basement tapes on it but we loved that record it was weird and great and and a lot of the band records the band the band are pretty um, kind of carefully like mythologized like mm, and thought yeah. out like we're like this you know and that record was very not like that i thought it was just a bunch of guys you know going for it and just being weird and um 
So it, there's a lot of just rando name dropping in those songs of like <laughs> weird names. And so Andy got really into that, where he would just throw Sakona Lee, I don't know who that is, or John Luke or whatever. He just throw these names in like they were people he knew. Right, right. But uh, it's just one of those songs I think it's about, you know, stalling out in life. And Slow Hands is just, that's because uh, Clapton's nickname is Slow Hand. Oh, and yeah. so we were calling Andy Slow Hands for a while, I think, as a joke. <laughs> Plural. Like both his hands were slow. Of course, Andy's hands are about 10 times faster than Clapton's, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, Andy's a very fleet guitar player, but uh, especially when he wants to shred. But, uh, but we just called the song Slow Hands, and it, it, you know, like I said, working title stuff. <laughs> God, right. You're too lazy to come up with a different title for it. The uh, I, I love the line the um, where the drunks go to fall down. It, was, it struck me as being like, as like that being incredibly thoughtful, almost like a, like in the way that Bukowski, as much as he has his problems, like just identified and wrote about some things like so specifically that it's sort of like mm -hmm. respect, you know, doff, doff of the cap. That was sort of, that was yeah. I think I, when I think about this record, and I think about you know, then there's a lot of lyrics like that. But that's something where it's like just like small, even snippets, like pieces of verses where it's like, wow, yeah, that's that's the image. I mean, uh, you know, the D trade. I didn't. I had Bart. You know, I didn't have <laughs> <laughs> the D trade. Yeah. But I, mean, I think any yeah. people can identify with that mm -hmm. uh, for sure. And then Shredder. There's some shredding. There's there's there's, there's yeah. some, like in in a way that's. Like I, personally, I would say that some of the, the guitar work reminds me of like Greg Sage or something in a way. Not that it sounds like Greg Sage, but in the way that it comes from mm -hmm. a very punk rock place. But it's just the economy mm -hmm. of motion, and, and just all right, this is gonna do the thing. Let's go. Um, yeah. Well, and Sage was really. Um, I know this because the, this fellow I mentioned before, Bob Jenniker, he put out those early Wipers albums, and he showed me some stuff that Sage wrote about trying to write a bio for the band or whatever. And he was really into, at least in these things, he was comparing himself to Jeff Beck and people like that, um, which was is not crazy, you know? No, no, um, no, I mean. He's, he's that good of a guitar player. Absolutely. And, um, and, uh, and while he is a punk rock guitar player, he has that flair for a tune, you know, and, and playing melodically or flash, you know? And Andy had that in spades, you know. He listened to all that stuff. Um, but Andy also comes from a shredder background, you know, Metallica and Voivod and, and Megadeth and stuff like that. He listened to that stuff a lot when he was a teenager. So that all influenced that. And as good as the solo is on the recorded version, like there's some live versions that are just yeah. totally bonkers. Yeah. Great. Where he would play for three or four minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah, just go, go like, it's like, I wouldn't ask you to stop and I don't want you to stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was a, it was a whole body, whole band thing where on a song like that, or don't make plans uh, on that record, um, he would get going and Michael and I would just, I would, I always looked at Michael when we played, when it was just me playing when I wasn't singing and we would just not even look at each other, but just zone, you know, the whole time. And uh, eventually you'd open your eyes and you'd be, turned around you know 90 degrees from where you thought you should be and, <laughs> and like you would you yeah. forget what club you're in and you'd be like ah oh, <laughs> what am i doing are we playing another song after this 
Are we playing a song? Am I playing? Am I yeah. on stage right now? What is playing? What is a guitar? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that feeling. Like, anytime I can get that feeling out of playing, it's good. So. Yeah. Uh, and again, th- yeah, this we've already already covered it. This isn't one aid to ask, but obviously, live song. Like, it was was there yeah, ever any the doubt uh, for this one of like, oh no, this yeah, one we flies. played it all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it seems like that's a pretty much a no brainer for that one. Where it's like, oh yeah, this this, yeah. Is, this is special. This is cool. We we got into a jag of opening shows with it for a while. Wow, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Because people would come and they'd be like, oh, check out this band. I heard they're a matter. And then we'd play that for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and uh, again, not a mystery as to why <laughs> things turned out the way they did. <laughs> wonder why things turned out the way they did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Why aren't we more popular? <laughs> <laughs> Can't put my finger on it. Must be something. <laughs> yeah. Drunk all the time. <laughs> 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 so then uh, after slow hands uh, another total change up in tone you got uh, cannibal cannibal yeah i just thought of that song the other day and i couldn't remember how it went um someone mentioned it to me i was like what's the and then i looked it up and it all came back i haven't played it yet but uh i really like that one that's um another one where it's me sort of enforcing this particular aesthetic on the band that wasn't necessarily our most natural thing to do but we could do it and um that's the three minute pop song type thing but i just there's something about the the um there's kind of an ambivalent vibe to the song like the narrator is not sold on what's going on i I don't know how to describe it and i really like that like it's not a narrative like straightforward you broke my heart or straightforward i love you it's just like this like i don't know i sort of feel like eating you but i sort of not really into it and i think i might leave and go do something else you know so there's this uh i like that kind of uh, uh not really confusion even just ambivalence like motivated but maybe unclear on the motivations yeah direction i want to do something and i don't know what it is that's kind of what it is yeah i love the um I don't know if you call it a, a, a bridge line or, or what, but the, it takes a lot of nerve to get up in the morning. <laughs> I, yeah, right. I actually think about that sometimes when I get up in the morning. That makes me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's true at any age, but especially the age we were then. When we weren't on the road, I remember it. I mean, I had a great job working at the record store and stuff, but I would, at that point, I wasn't even doing that so much anymore. So I was just driving cab or whatever. So when I wasn't on tour, my life was kind of a whole, you know. I felt like um, I was in between being on tour. So like, yeah, I remember that feeling of just like, oh, what am I into, what am I doing today? I'm fucking, I guess I'm gonna go buy some food. <laughs> I have like five bucks, I could buy a book, you know, at the right. store. Um, so, yeah, it's a funny time of life, being rootless and uh, kind of being able to do whatever you want, but not having any dough, you know. Everybody's, a lot of people have gone through that period of life. It's pretty rewarding in some ways, but. Yeah, you've got all the freedom in the world, but do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It's con- fr- right. Freedom with a certain amount of constraint, uh, to, to put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> 
Did you um did that one that one get make into the live set when you played? Yeah, we played it we played that song quite a bit. Um we hashed it out live and it took a while. It has some a little bit of a tricky rhythm and spots to it. And um not like unnatural for us, but like I said, I was kind of shoehorning the band into this into this structure that we weren't wasn't super natural for us. You know? Did you have any bands you were thinking of when you, you were kind of like, you know, oh, like, a, you know, akin to in the same fruit basket as. Excellent. Not that song. Yeah. No, not that song. Uh, that just came out. And one of the reasons I like it is it came out in like five minutes. You know, I didn't I didn't have to work it at all. Yeah. It's always I always have a soft spot for those songs when they happen because that's cool. I really, I like the feeling of writing it, you know. Yeah, and I think it comes through in the quality of the tune. There's a automatic quality to it that's good, you know. Yeah, it feels very uh, not not to say that it lacks weight, but it feels very easy. It feels like a, yeah. like an easy song. Right, it's almost almost a breezy kind of tune, which we almost never did, <laughs> uh, but. But that song has that quality to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear someone else do it sometime, actually, because I think you could do it in a very kind of light way. It would probably be cool. I mean, I think it would hold up. Yeah, probably. I guess I don't we, know. Guess Who we fucking won't. knows? We can call it the Protonic <laughs> Reversal Challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll never know. <laughs> uh, so then next up is Tarnished Angel. Yeah, so this song is uh, the Tarnished Angels, a movie by Douglas Sirk, the Tarnished Angels, mm. and we got on this jag of watching Douglas Sirk movies. A bunch of us, we watched that. There's a song called "There's a song called Written on the Wind on Liberty." That's a Douglas Sirk movie. Um, whatever those other ones are, <clears throat> we liked all those movies. They're these kind of melodramas that uh, were made in the '50s or '60s. And um, Tarnished Angel, I think, has uh, oh, I don't know, who knows? I can't remember who's in it, but um, well, I can tell you right now because I just looked it up. It's Rock Hudson, Robert Stack, yeah, uh, yes, Dorothy Robert Willow. Stack and Rock Hudson. And I forget who the female lead is in it, Kim Novak, Dorothy Malone. Oh, okay, um, but uh, there's a subtext to it that I think Cirque was aware of where. You know, Rock Hudson was gay. Oh, and she's I in think the big that that, That's what I was thinking. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> that, I think that added a kind of a, a psychodrama aspect to these movies that he was aware of. Kind of like when uh, uh, Orson Welles made The Trial and a cast Anthony Perkins in it. That was the subtext of that movie as well. So, um, okay. So I think that played into the tune maybe a little bit. Andy just liked the movie use that as a jumping off point for the song. Tell me the bass line. Tell me about that freaking... That's a good one. That's good... a good loping bass line. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It lopes. It's a total loper, but in a good way. Yeah. Like, I actually used yeah. that as an example of a good loping bass line once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like bass lines that are, seem cyclical, even if they're not, and um, seem like they could go on forever. They don't... They're not too chopped up, and they're not too ambitious, and they just kind of keep rolling like that you know and that's that's what that one does it's good i did a good job on that one <laughs> bravo, bravo that was recorded at crc that was recorded at crc probably at like two in the morning or something yeah. 
Uh, that that's another loquacious one, as well. Yes, that, a lot of a lot of blabbing, <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way. Like it's sort of like you know, if it makes you run to your dictionary, your dictionary.com to learn a new word. Nothing. I mean, like what is that? The crowd's a rapacious beast. Like like yeah. Jesus Christ, <laughs> the balls. But like you know, it's, yeah. it's an awesome line. <laughs> That was probably about some show that we played in West Virginia or something. Right, right, right. <laughs> I <don't know. clears throat> uh, do you, um, I remember if I ever said, did, was this a, a live song? I remember if I saw you guys play this live. I think I, I think yeah. did. I think I see you play a couple of mm-hmm. Yeah, we played it live. Not quite as much as some of those other ones. Not, not as much as Slow Hands or Nerves yeah. or whatever, but, but quite a bit. Yeah. Did you uh, have any specific remembrances like recording or anything with that getting this one down because it's no. got some kind of it, it, there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of separation with all of it just by nature of the fact there's like one less you know instrument <laughs> around yeah but uh, this one is kind of a good example of like Silkworm Power Trio in full effect yeah yeah it's just us playing and I can't remember if Andy put the guitar to the one later or not <clears throat> but it was mostly live you know, we cut almost everything live because we were a live band and uh, and we weren't, generally speaking, learning things in the studio. Andy would finish lyrics in the studio often, but, uh, you know, we we didn't. We knew the songs when we went in. We had to because we had to make the records in a few days. Although this record was made over a course of probably about 12 days uh, at a bunch of different recording sessions. and. We spent probably <clears throat> twelve or thirteen grand on it, which was God. Maybe that's the most we ever spent on a record, if only because uh, Steve recorded some of the later records for almost nothing, uh, or for like a quarter of what they should have cost. That's the only reason that we didn't spend twenty grand on the Italian pipe. But um. But yeah, we spent, I remember we spent about 13,000. Oh, and we tipped the $500. <laughs> we uh, gave a tip. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's <laughs> That made him a friend for life. Honestly, yeah, yeah. that's what did it. I'm sure. That tipped him over from being a sort of, you know, someone who put up with their shit, <laughs> like I'm really growing up, to like, oh, I love this open guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tipped me 500 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they Good, good question from the the chat box. Uh, how much did you guys work the songs live before recording them? Usually, to death. I mean, <laughs> on that on that record, <laughs> on all the records up through that record, we played all those songs all the time, wow. except for like the acoustic ones or whatever, you know. Yeah, the ones but, that wouldn't um, fit into a live set, sir. Yeah. Yeah, they got played, like. I mean, we like I said, we were touring six months out of the year. We just beat the shit out of them on the road, which is a good way to do it if you can, if you can tour, you know. Um, and that's how we learned to play was by going on the road and just playing night after night after night after night after night after night. After night. And then you come home and you practice every night, you know, or three nights a week or four nights a week, um, and because you don't have anything else to do, and you wanted to be in a band, and that's what it took to get good. So. Um, yeah, we played them a lot. I'd say that um, developer was still mostly like that. And then by the time we started making those, the other records, they were still played live a lot, but there was a little bit more experimentation and stuff. Going yeah. On. Yeah. There was a, I, I wish I could attribute 
the author of the quote, but there, there's a quote that goes something along the lines of like a song never truly tells you what it is until you've played it live over and over and over. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get a lot out of it. And um, it doesn't, for me, it never got boring and it never does get boring. You know, um, there's always something new that comes out in what, what you're doing. If you're tuned into what you're doing and it's any good, you know, I think it always is, you can't overdo it as far as I'm concerned. I don't think everybody feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, a lot of people don't want to go on the road and pound the same things out every night, but I'll do it. <laughs> well, if you if you're if you're enjoying it, you know that's that's a, yeah. As long as you're not up there thinking about your laundry or whatever, you know. Yeah. Plus, I just have a limited imagination. I think so. Yeah. It doesn't take very much to keep me happy. <laughs> uh, quicksand is the next one up. Oh yeah, talk about word salad. <laughs> Endless singing. A lo- yeah, this is this is another wordy one. There, there's a. You know, in a good way. Like it's there. It's awesome, but it's it seems like, you know, what I but I was, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, I wonder how long I took to remember all the lyrics. Yeah, not that long. It makes some kind of sense to me in my head, but uh, yeah, that I don't know. Why did I do that? Just came out that way. That song has a, another little trick thing of the guitar plays a descending thing, and then the bass plays a descending thing right after it. And so there's this kind of like um, rolling quality to it that I liked. And um, Michael was such a musical drummer that he picked up on that. <clears throat> and that's, it came through in the way he played it. And then the, the whole thing just kind of falls together when that happens. That's, it's, that's a good feeling. It seems very uh, off the cuff, even though it like obviously it isn't at oh, all. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> I think it was pretty off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, I think the lyric was probably first draft. Yeah, not, not a lot of rewrites. Uh, what is it? Uh, tonight's act is in a double garbage bag. Like a, that's a double line garbage, double line garbage bag. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty killer. Yeah, that's definitely from touring a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Uh, I'm gonna. Keep the deviations uh, to a minimum, but uh, there's a, a decent enough question uh, from the chat box here about uh, the when you guys were in the fitness craze, getting the uh, introductory gym memberships. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind talking about so that? So Andy and I, Andy and I went on this quest when we were kids. It seems quaint to me now, but I was on a quest to hit two bills for my weight, 200 pounds, and I weighed about one high 180s 190 so i really want to hit 200 which of course now is like trivially easy um <laughs> but uh right, right at the time i could couldn't stand to do it i couldn't manage to do it but so andy and i went to bq workout on capitol hill which was a great gym because it was like 100 percent gay so the meatheads were all gay guys which meant they were cool <laughs> and not not dicks to you know the women who were just as strong as they were and it was great it was a great place but we would go there and lift weights and we would go to the university and lift weights and uh andy i remember would get mad because he's an active mark so he would get strong but he was still kind of scrawny and i would i I bulk up really easy so i got all like bulky and um then we would go on tour and we would want to keep lifting 
So <laughs> it's not like we were like, you know, we didn't wear bandanas or uh, tank tops or anything like that. But, um, Flex but we between would find, songs. <laughs> yeah, we would find gyms that had cheap deals and we would go there on the road sometimes, lift or whatever. We couldn't afford hotels that had the exercise rooms. You know? No, no, yeah. So, so we would, we would go to like YMCA's and stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, good times. Yeah. <laughs> I I was <clears throat> I was doing the dishes and I was uh, thinking about uh, how much I like the line uh it's uh, the, the last verse ever wonder why there's a house that sits as empty as the day that someone finished building it. Yeah. And and I realized that's another one that uh when looking at houses like you know when moving or whatever I've thought about that line that line's kind of like in, in the in the constant cacophony of nonsense that goes through my head that like is a line that sometimes will, will go mm-hmm. when I think about it what what uh, what brought that to mind for that line well on a serious note I think you know quicksand is just something that you once you get in it you can't get out I mean I've only known one person who's gotten stuck in quicksand that's Steve Albini because he really? was a fu- fucking idiot and he walked out into quicksand like he and Heather were on vacation I think in Hawaii maybe and <laughs> the sign said, careful, quicksand. He's like, oh, quicksand. And Heather's like, don't go out there, you dumbass, you know? And he walked out in it, and it, you, know, you start sinking because it's quicksand. And somehow he managed to get out. But, um, but you know, it sucks you in, and you can't get out, and you're trapped. And eventually you <laughs> succumb. And um, so a lot of that time period was wondering if what we were doing was worth doing probably on some level, not while we were on stage, but like, like I said, you get home and you have to pay rent and you just went on tour and you have like a hundred bucks, you know? <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, and you're, you're like, what am I, I, that was great, but now I'm home and I have to deal with this shit and my cat's sick or whatever. And, um, you're like, is this the kind of life that I need to be leading? <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, should I have stayed in school? But um, so it's kind of about that, but it's also about looking around you and seeing that no one else is really doing any better. You know, right. the people you know who did go to school, <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, they'd go to school and graduate with an engineering degree the way I did later on or whatever, and have real jobs and kids or whatever. They're not, they're not happy. You know, they they have all the same kind of doubts and misgivings about. Uh, the game of life that you might. So it's kind of just about that. And that line is about that too, you know, hopping around, trying to find some kind of contentedness and, and while dealing with just the human condition of never really being satisfied with stuff. So well, that's where all that came it, from. It's funny. You had a, a actual physical quicksand story because being of the age that I am, I grew up thinking that quicksand was going to be a much greater threat than it actually was because every movie, <laughs> yeah. TV show, yeah. like, like Bigfoot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh man, yeah. watch out for the quicksand. It's like, no, that quicksand's actually pretty rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not and like, it turns out you can go out into it and get out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even then it's not as big of a deal as you think. Cause it was like, you know, this narrative device for all these shows and movies and things along the, you know, yeah. strand yeah. the hero in the quicksand, <laughs> you know, like whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, and it's, but it is interesting because the actual, actual quicksand is, is, you know, as a metaphor or, or as a real thing is actually a pretty fascinating uh, concept, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, At least it was interesting enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, playing that <laughs> one live. 
Yeah, we did when we recorded it, but it, it barely makes the cut off that record. I, I mean, which is a funny thing to say because the guy who puts out our records now, John Solomon, put out a single of that <laughs> song and another song. I'm glad you said I, it, yeah. Because <laughs> he wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah. But it wouldn't have been my pick, you know. It's probably the – how many songs are on the record? 14? Uh, a lot, um, 16. 16. 16 yeah. is probably the ninth best song on the record. I'm just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Let me take a look. That'd be that that'd be Paris hard to better. that that'd be that'd be pretty four, cool to like establish a rank seven, for that. Eight. Uh, I'm gonna say nine. It's yeah. It's it's like the eleventh or twelfth best song. <laughs> But thank you, John. It's a very nice sleeve. <laughs> very nice letterpress sleeve. Ah, Andy in the chat box. I can't box. remember who did it. John lives for recycling. That's, a, that's an excellent <laughs> comment. I, I would like that if this was Facebook. Yeah. Uh, take it to Lane. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's sort of, um, you know, we started to kind of slow down a little bit. Uh, in terms of and get a little bit more spaced out um, on our records after Firewater, mm-hmm. yeah, we we did that more often, <clears throat> and that song was kind of a proto version of that, or like a almost like a precursor to it. I don't think it's a hundred percent successful, but the sound of it is cool, and I think it has a dead sound to it. Um, hmm. It may have been the first time we ever recorded like that, because uh, you know Steve's known. For this you know kind of thing and it's cool uh so you of course you want to do that because it sounds awesome but then uh i wanted to make a more intimate sound for that that song and we deadened it up a lot and uh it sounded really cool it sounded to me like an old soul record or whatever nothing i necessarily could pull that off vocally but but um but i i, I really like the feel of that tune and the general sentiment of that song is just kind of a um, like I remember listening to a record like TB Sheets by Van Morrison which is just like you know it's called TB Sheets so you know <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> that that was kind of I didn't intentionally model it on anything like that and I was obviously I can't do what he can do but um but I, that kind of vibe of just like intense downer kind of thing. This is sort of a general version of that. I mean, uh, it's not certainly not something I noticed when I first started listening to the record. But years later, I was like, oh, this is kind of like almost Stonesy kind of vibe in, in, in yeah. a way. Like in that same sort of mining that same territory that you're, you're speaking about. Well, the title is totally like a Queen Like Myler. Yeah. One of those titles, you know. Um, but yeah, we, we listen to the, the, we all love the Rolling I like them better then than I do now, probably, but I still, um, you know, am, will always be a fan. And uh, we listened to this one bootleg called Red Spring Symphony over and over again in the band. We had a tape that had Samurai Rock Band by Cheap Trick on one side and Red Spring Symphony on the other side. And we listened to that thing like endlessly. Yeah. Um, if you like rock so, music, you know, that's an okay thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were we were fans of of, that, of them, so yeah, it definitely has a has a feel to it. Our, our attempt at that. Yeah. I, I I love the uh, yeah, it's kind of like the, almost like the, 
so so sparse but the you know he tried a little and got somewhere you worked hard and got no place yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like <laughs> from the talking blues world almost you know just like oh man oh come on <laughs> yeah it's very blues yeah that whole um the whole sentiment of that song is sort of like an extra sort of emo sort of pathos based version of the blues yeah <laughs> good way good, good way of putting it yeah totally i like that line that's a good one uh this song as a live song occasionally occasionally yeah i don't remember playing it a lot it was a bit tricky to sing because there was a high bit and um yeah you're kind of right up i on think it it, it was such a, a downer that uh sequencing it was not easy um you know an interesting thing about this record is i know a lot of many people friends of mine have said you know i think it i think it's a i think it's great but um you know if it was a single album it would be even even better <laughs> i was like oh what would you what would you take would off you drop, or what yeah. would you what, yeah no what would you put on i seriously you know you're not gonna hear my feelings they'd be like oh well this song is this one and then the next person who would say that to me which this happened you know six or seven times totally different four songs i'd take all the slow ones off or i would take all the shitty fast ones off or whatever um so i don't know how many people would say that when they make the cut i like it i think it's good we didn't play it a ton like i think there's there, i think it serves a purpose that it's a song that does the exact thing it's supposed to do at the exact point it should in the record too and there's something to be yeah it's a about. change of pace yeah it's a change of pace it's like it's like we also we did play winter by the rolling stones uh off of goat's head soup we played that live a fair amount um we recorded that on the Einheit record that we made with our friend oh yeah john <laughs> about that right. and um <laughs> and it that's a great song we did a really good version of it and um did i sing it i did um so but anyway it's just, it's like that like winter is a, just a change of pace tune on Goza Soup, and that's what it is. You know, it's a change of pace, basically. Uh, swings. Um, I think Swings is my best song on the record. I think it's great, and um, it's probably one of the best songs I wrote in the room. Uh, it wrote itself, and um, the whole thing. I had the drums. I had everything. And I sang it to those guys. I was like, this is how it goes. So that was one of those rare times where it wasn't just play whatever you want. I was like, this is how the drums go. like this. <laughs> yeah. And that song's about Joel and um, uh, the intense, like, sadness of uh, the quartet version of the band falling apart. Um, and uh, swings is just mood swings, I think. <laughs> Which, you know when you're in a situation you just have to get out of and you're not out of it that you anybody's liable to experience those so yeah um but i think there was a little bit of uh other stuff in there but that it was almost all that you know as i recall um and feeling this it's a weird state to be in because i wasn't sympathetic to him at the time <laughs> at all <laughs> you know i was right. just like i wasn't capable of being sympathetic really but i was sad and i was um, i recognized he was in, having difficulty yeah um and uh at the same time i was pissed off and i felt this intense loss of this thing that we'd spent all these years 
you know, because 96, when we recorded that song in 95 or whatever, um, that was, Joel and I started playing together in 85. So we've been playing together for 10 years. When he, when he quit, we've been playing together for nine years. So, you know, that's a long time. That's a long relationship. And uh, there were aspects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were aspects of that um, that were just really, really hard to uh, to accept. And I think that was just that was a very, very clear cut kind of um, expression of how I felt about the whole thing at that time. You know, and we played the shit out of that, and we played it until the band ended. You know, but I love the song. I think it's great. I, I think it's a actually totally underrated one in the pantheon. Yeah, I think so too. Probably, yeah. I mean, I've, I've God, just that. Uh, yeah, I know they made a big mistake on you, and Undertow was threatening to drag me down too. It's like, yeah, yeah. <sighs> of course, it's melodramatic. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, I did not make a big mistake on Joel Phillips. No, no, of course I, not. I, but... One of the luckiest things in my life was to be able to. Uh, play music with him as long as I did and learn steal all the shit that I stole from him which is a lot uh, probably not quite enough but uh, you know but you know at the time you feel all this stuff and you're like I remember the feeling when at the, at the end you know it was so bad you know intensely bad and it was, and, and pretty, it was pretty fresh at the time too I mean let's not let's, you know this is like yeah, yeah. 25 it like years ago up with it was a, fresh with, someone it was well it was breaking up with someone you really love you know yeah it's super hard to do that so um yeah and i haven't had that experience very much in my life um but that was one of those times for sure so yeah so you know i got a good tune out of it at least (laughs) yeah i mean so it's interesting they could very easily be construed and has been construed as a you know relationship song right like a yeah like a oh it didn't work out and it was brutal kind of you know yeah you know man and woman and it is yeah (laughs) and it absolutely is it just happens to be of a musical nature as well every everything with the sex you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh good good comment from the chat box you haven't lived until you've had an ex-girlfriend sing swings to you on the wrong side of a restraining order (laughs) oh yikes I'm going to assume that's shtick, and I'm going to say that's good shtick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so. That that's a. It's a heavy point of the record too. Did did when when you were thinking about sequencing, like did it like were you like ah, why did we put this one, or, or did you kind of know that that was like where it was going to be? I don't remember uh, that so much. You know, at the time, you kind of think of things as being equal in terms of their worth. Right. And it's clear to me now, like the things were like where I was talking about where I would shoehorn the band into playing these songs that like Cannibal Cannibal's good or Wet Firecracker, they're good, but that's not our natural wheelhouse, whereas Swings is right in there. Mm. That's what we did. And um Like it almost feels like it so, could be on developer in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's got Yeah, it could be on any of the records. Yeah. Um because it's just kind of I mean it's you know I've been mean to myself already, so I'll just, I think it's timeless as a song. And, and the, the, the state, I think it's a very clear statement that with no adornment, there's no word salad in that song. It's It's like the opposite of word word salad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's what I try to do now. If I can't do that, then I don't, 
keep the tune, you know. It it, uh, it, it occurs to me that like, you know, that'd be a song that, uh, you know, I was thinking of Dolly Parton, but she like writes all her own stuff, but it's like, oh man, I would totally, you know, yeah. a Johnny Cash, uh, uh, it? Rick Rubin, Johnny Cash situation or something like that. Hey, it's like an old that. country song. Yes. It's got that vibe. And that's, and when you get that, and I've realized this over the years, making a lot of records with a lot of different attempts to do a lot of things. When I get that, I know I've done it. You know, yeah. I, for myself, I've made it. I've, I've hit the mark, you know, and there's nothing complicated about it. It's just, you have to like capture a feeling or a moment or something substantially in a very clear way. And I don't think there's a lot of room for interpretation in that song. You know, right. it means what it means. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's 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 right there. It's it's you you don't interpret "I'm so lonesome I could cry." It's, yeah, that's yeah. what it means. It's like here's the and uh, not not that I'm putting myself in that league, but you know what I mean. It's like clean cut. You know, it's it means it, it, clear cut. It means exactly what it says it means, and that's it. You it's know. like you open up the paper package where the meat is and there's a heart inside, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's pretty clear what that <laughs> is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, next one up is uh, Severance Bay. Yeah, this song is rad. Um, Change up in, in mood. <laughs> yeah. Andy was um, forced to go to Alaska as a kid kind of a lot. <clears throat> His parents would drive up there. Uh, his dad. His dad published pictorial histories. I have a couple of Miranda. Really? Someplace. Yeah. yeah. Um, I should really have him on the show this sometime. Is, this is funny that I have it. This is a, a pictorial history of Missoula, Montana. Oh wow! How cool! It's got all this shit in it. How awesome! Yeah, and so Stan Cohen is the guy. But um, anyway, Andy's dad was would make him like travel in the VW bus. Uh, to Alaska and sometimes the engine would melt and they'd get stuck in like uh, you know the northern reaches of, of uh, Canada for a while before they could uh, complete the trip but um, so he he's always been kind of obsessed with Alaska I think um, and he's of course a history guy and he writes a lot of his, his songs especially during that period were not particularly personal they were projections or they would he would take things from history and try to create a narrative out of them allegorize? make it into an allegory yeah yeah but he was much more conscious about the way he crafted songs than like i was i just wanted to sort of barf it out there and he would do all this work to like kind of rot you know they were like yeah. rot by him and um that was one of those songs and that's just about a big earthquake the prince william sound and this like degenerate i don't know probably oil worker guy or something who gets caught in um, but it's a good title and it's a great song and the guitar playing is good on it Joel Phelps used to play that one sometimes uh, in his solo shows I heard him play that a few times so oh, oh really oh wow that's awesome that's, that's great yeah, good enough for him good yeah, enough yeah. for us I think we played it live fair amount but I don't remember exactly not as much as some of the other ones it's a good song that's a dry sound one too. Yeah, very Probably dry. But yeah, and, and that was. A, did you have a thought towards sound-wise, like having having that like where it is uh, like coming out well, of like the slow burner, you know, the, the yeah, classic it's country a weird song? <laughs> so we wouldn't have even compared to the other songs. It's pretty weird. So we wouldn't have put it way up front on the record. 
and I think it just slotted in where it was to keep things moving, you know. You don't want to have too many bummers right in a row. I mean, it's about a guy dying in an earthquake, so. Well, <laughs> yeah, this, I was going to say, the subject matter is a bummer, but it's kind of jaunty. Like, it's got. <laughs> yeah, it has this, like, sea chanty feel to it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, we're going, we're doing, we're doing some oil rig guy stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. yeah. <laughs> uh, did you, uh, was this was this one that you guys played? We played it some. Uh, I don't remember playing it a ton. Um, I I mean, we definitely played it live, but I think it was less of a um, showstopper. You know, it, it it didn't have some of the sort of grand qualities yeah. on stage that some of the other ones did. So we didn't beat the hell out of it. <laughs> right, right, right. Once right. we got it down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, right? It's it's like so, and also that's something that at this point were you kind of getting into the idea of like hey some maybe some it's okay for some songs to be just for the record or were you even thinking that far yeah yeah sure and when you make a record that's an hour long you know it's going to have all kinds of uh light and shade as jimmy page likes to say on the (laughs) uh, on it and you know so you have you have different chiara shuro is that how you say that word um but you know it has this like um it has it plays this role on the album and it's a pretty central song to that. I definitely wouldn't, if I were to make a single album version of this record, I would not take that song off um, at all, ever. That's, it's kind of a linchpin song on the record in a weird way. But, um, but it, it, it's not one of the bigger moments on the record, if that makes sense. So it didn't always make that list. But we did, we played a live with Paramount, I suppose. Uh, the recording on this, you know, I guess we haven't really, we've talked a little bit about the recording early on, but like, um, you know, you knock the hell out of a lot of these live, but I mean, were they mostly like first, second takes? Did you kind of drill them down? Like yeah. Over? We hardly ever did more than two takes. Um, and part of that was time. And part of it is just cause I didn't, who gives a shit, you know, <laughs> if you've really worked it out you don't need more than a couple takes, like even late, even later <laughs> records, like the last bottomless pit record, those are all first or second takes, almost all of them. Yeah. Because we did that with that record. We played those songs for three years, you know. So um, I, I'm a big fan of getting it done and uh, not fretting it too much. I mean, I've done both. And sometimes good stuff happens when you really work something. But most of the time, it's better if you just, you know, pound it and get it, get it right, you know, pretty quickly, I think. Where were you... Were you thinking, because I mean, obviously, as, as we established, like it's kind of like the Andy Unleashed guitar record, but it's also, you know, it, it's a pretty immediate sounding, even for the more uh, claustrophobic or gentle songs. But did you ever have an idea for, uh, like, do, to do embellishments, like as you did later with the, you know, piano and, uh, you know, overdubs and things along those lines? We weren't really on that wavelength then. And I don't know why, because uh, I certainly like plenty of music that had shit on it <laughs> but i, I, I like think i'm thinking like double nickels space. on the dime you know what i mean where it's like there's there's like there's a yeah. great record but it's also it's like oh yeah there's you know uh you know history lesson where they're just it's like oh this what is this oh okay cool like what yeah yeah i, I don't know we were still very much a live band and that's that was our main focus and you know overdubbing a guitar solo was about as far as we wanted to go with it like I think <clears throat> there's a point at which um, the 
the limitations of the band really define what you are. And that's true of playing too. Like what makes someone a unique instrumentalist or unique singer is what they can't do a lot of the time. So Mm -hmm. you can't do things and you, you make up stuff ways around it, you know, like Robert Smith cannot hit a note square. You can't do it. That's why he's moving up and down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's a great singer. Yeah. And he can't hit a note, you know, because he's learned how to swoop and hover and and dance around the what on a piano would be ding 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 ding, and you know, guy's awesome. Yeah, so that's but that's part of what makes him great. He would right. not be better if he could do. I mean, how many times have you heard opera people sing to rising pop, and it's like a nightmare. Oh yeah, like like that American Idol notes per minute thing, where it's like, oh, enough, we get it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So. But a lot of it, a lot of what makes people good is if they learn how to craft something out of whatever they're capable of doing. And that includes their limitations, you know, what they can't do. I mean, that's kind um, of like what Shy's about what the on, point the, was. on the Mid Mile record, the, the last one that came out, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Don't be too precious about your voice. Yeah, just let it go. <laughs> and we certainly let it go on, on these records, you know. The vocals were almost an afterthought. Um, a little less so by this point, but um, and really, I think by Libertine, we we gotten at least fairly conscious of like trying to maybe do a couple takes of the vocals rather than just like just kind of farting them out and letting them, letting them go. But letting your freak flag fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. The lure of beauty. Yeah. So this song is just a straight up Rolling Stones thing it's even keith richards tuning i played it i had a dan armstrong guitar like keith used to play and i had it it was a five i had it five string it was tuned to g the open g nice and i I brought it just for this song and uh i i played the guitar the main guitar thing on it um because i got into playing open g for a while because it's fun that's why Keith has been doing it for so long. Um, <laughs> turns, turns out this Keith guy's on to something. <laughs> and that song's also like kind of a really mean uh, kiss-off song. And I, I guess it probably had to do with Joel and all of But it's not very nice. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, animosity in it. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's an anomaly. Um, I think it sounds kind of neat. It's, a, it's, again, me kind of shoehorning the band into something that is naturally what we would end up doing. Michael really makes it work. There's no bass on the song. Yeah. And um, he provides the whole propulsion, the kick drum on that. And that's just him being a great drummer, uh, making the tune work. We did not play that one live. Maybe we did it a few times. But of all the songs on this record, besides Miracle Mile, which is acoustic, um, that one got played the least live for sure. Maybe we played it a couple times. That song, uh, also a delivery system for using the word shibboleth in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, some of the lyrics are good. Yeah, <laughs> some, of, some of the lyrics are funny, uh, as I recall. But that's a total like just blah 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 blah, just endless <laughs> words, <laughs> not knowing when to shut up. <laughs> well, and it's it's a. Uh... You know, it, like let's, if it had been the Stones, like they would have called it "You Got It All Wrong," right? But you call it "The Lure of Beauty." Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, the Lyric Beauty is from an H.L. Mencken uh, essay in some book. <laughs> and uh, I was drawn to that title. Um, it wasn't just about Joel, it was about someone else too, kind of, but I don't know. It's an it's sort of an anomaly, and it definitely belongs exactly where it is on the record, which I think is middle of the food side. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it belongs. Drift like a it's dreamer, a third. shake like a battleship, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, life ain't ever dull when the deepest of the green seas hold your lovely hole. That's pretty good. <laughs> Some of the lyrics are good on it. Just uh, re really dig into um, the nautical rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one for a while. I remember it got a little, it started to get a little boring by the end, but then Michael kicked it up a, a notch and he made it good. Made it good. Yeah, did you have ever have a, uh, a moment where, uh, on that record where you're like, mm, maybe we should just shorten that up. And then you're like, oh, wait, hey, no, no, that's, that's good the way it is. Is, is that a... Were these arrangements fluid in any way, or was it all kind of mostly? No. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't think about that. We just we just blasted it out, you know. I mean, our aesthetic was really like the um, the Husker Du aesthetic or something, Zen Arcade, <clears throat> New Day Rising thing, where they would go in the studio and record for 24 straight hours, and then Spot would mix it somehow, and they would have a record. You know? Only we were fortunate enough to be recording with Steve, so. Um, <laughs> I thought you were just you were fortunate enough had, to not be recording bass. with Spot, but that's a much better way to phrase no. that. <laughs> I mean, hey, that dude made a lot of amazing records, so people, I mean, people diss him, but all, all I don't know, I don't know what New Day Rising would be like if Spot hadn't recorded it. Maybe yeah. it would have been worse. You know? <laughs> there are a lot of people who would have fucked that record up. So, I, I but um, but but uh, you know, we 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 just blasted it out. Yeah, and. Yeah, I mean, you're basically just racing to get to the next intro, you know, and um, that's how we that's how we played live and that's how we recorded it. Um, there's a line in that song. Did that hard water break your back? Did a pile of rock and roll do it? That's pretty good. Yeah. That's that's totally about Joel. Hard water being uh, any Motel 6 in the middle of the country. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. That water that comes <laughs> out is just like super Texas Motel 6 super minerally and you can't wash off the soap and i was gonna say it feels like it sticks to you but it doesn't stick to you at all yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i wish I'm, I'm bummed out i know what you're talking about <laughs> uh next up the mighty miracle mile yeah so this song is just about touring and um i wrote it in my head in the van as we were driving home from Chicago to uh, Seattle, I think. And um, I can't remember if all this stuff had just happened, but it, you know, it's like a travelogue sort of thing where right. uh, <laughs> it's just sort of, I, I, I like it. It captures the um, kind of gestalt of being a shit-eating indie rock band. At that time in particular, probably now too. Um, yeah, it hasn't changed that much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so it's just about that. It's about, you know, we played we played a show one time at CBGB where uh, we during the day we went to Central Park. It was on July 4th some year. And 
Sun Ra and Sonic Youth were playing. And I fucking love Sun Ra. Yeah. And I probably have as many Sun Ra records as anything else in my life. And um, and I love Sonic Youth uh, at the time, even uh, then. Um, I don't know why I said even, especially then. Um, so anyway, they played Sonic Youth was okay. Sun Ra was amazing. And it was outdoors in Central Park on July 4th. It was great. And then we went to CBGB and there were like eight bands. And um, we were last, which does not mean you're headlining when you go in at three in the morning. And the hey, Caleb, voluptuous listen up. I'm going to teach you an important lesson here. <laughs> when someone says you're the headliner and there are eight bands, <laughs> you're actually the cleanup act. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and I don't mean cleanup like baseball. I mean like janitor. Um, so the voluptuous tour of Karen Black played and there were probably a couple hundred people there and then everybody left and then we played for like three people and the sound man was out of his mind on something it wasn't alcohol <laughs> some kind of pills or coke or something and you know we were real loud uh, that show was with Joel so it was two guitars, bass, drums everything was super loud and he was just over it and um, he was like, if you guys don't turn down, I'm gonna fucking kill you! He says this over the mic, over, wow. the, over the monitors, and we're like, yeah, fuck this guy. So we just played our set and got the fuck out of there. But that was one thing that's in there. And I got back at him by being mean to him in the song. And um, <laughs> then someone broke into our Suburban on another trip to New York. And the only thing in the Suburban was a sleeping bag. And they took it, which I, you know, who can blame them? They probably needed it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other stuff in that song about whatever uh, travails. <laughs> but it's pretty straightforward. They have, that song has a really good guitar solo. It, that kind it's, of like I, so I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because, yeah, like the way it kind of like barges in like an uninvited guest, but just like, yeah. oh my God. Like, like was it... That, that just is that how it shook out or did you have the idea of like hey we got this acoustic song that's kind of going and doing its thing and then we're just wham there you go well this is one song where we didn't have it planned out I had the I had the thing twinka 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 on the guitar and I did that and sang it and I think it's just that and then Andy blows it up in the middle and it, we got to we got it done and I left the space in there and I was like, I don't know what should happen there, Co. but you just need to, like, fuck it. <laughs> just go. You need to really destroy it in the middle. He's like, okay. And then he went out and he just did that in, like, one take. And then you're like, oh, perfect. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's, um... I wanted to sound like the wheels coming off. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, well, exactly. Because it, it's, it's, it's such an iconic... Uh, song moment and solo too like uh, the fact that it's like oh wow yeah that's just that yeah. song just like, breaks in like a bull into a china shop like like, <laughs> like immediately yeah. Um, yeah song also wins points for me for uh, calling out very specific tour related repairs uh, yeah Ed. that's a very <laughs> small small echelon of songs that have done that yeah we really did get ripped off by a garage in Fort Lee um uh, the crazy thing about that was that we, I'm like a real uh, bulldog when stuff like that happens. So I kept at it and I wrote, this is pre-internet, so I had to write letters 
to the New Jersey Department of Consumer Affairs and stuff, and they took down that garage. Really? Wholesale for, yeah, not because of us, but we were part of the whole thing because there were so many complaints, and we got all of our money back plus damages from, from it. It was like $800 or something, yeah, and we got like 1500 back, you know. Um, but still, it was very satisfying in the end. But, yeah, at the time, it was uh, not fun to do well, all that stuff. And, and the... Uh... <laughs> The song also is in a special category of much like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where things that would be different with cell phones uh, in, in that same way. Uh, not for that, mm-hmm. you know, for emergency services alone, but also, you know, there, there's the. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember touring with having to call someone long distance. Okay, you got to do it at this time. You got to keep it succinct. <laughs> yeah, calling card. <laughs> calling card. Yeah. Exactly. Punch in the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and just being you know isolated and and uh, and away you know lo- loving what you're doing but away and then also having all these mundane and, and sometimes terrible adventures <laughs> yeah and like that part at the end of the song my wife went on a lot of the tours with us and um then she didn't after a while because someone had to like make money to you know pay the rent and whatnot so she wouldn't go on all of them and you know there are all sorts of misadventures that you get up to on tour that you shouldn't and uh stuff and 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 you know you just lose touch with the person and when you're on the when you're on tour you just become this kind of like uh creature comforts are really important and things that aren't important are really like relating to other people on any kind of a real deep level like Pete Townsend used to call it tour armor, where you go on the road, you go on the road and you just become this like, you know, clad thing that doesn't really, you know, yeah. you're not really part of the human race. exactly. You know? <laughs> right, right. Like you hit that, that like, yeah. uh, whatever, about two week mark. And then suddenly you're, you're out to sea. <laughs> yes. Two weeks plus after the two week mark, you just go into this like zone and it's happened in every band I've ever been in went this toured that much and you know recently i went on tour sun a lot in 2019 and uh we had a couple long tours and same thing happened i mean it was great i love it i like that feeling um but it's not really a it's not really conducive to people who aren't in the same headspace you are to (laughs) to be enjoying it you know yes you call them up and it's like hey and you're like same old dumb jokes that you've been telling for three weeks that are right. still funny and the other person's like what the fuck are you talking about like, I, I can't i can't decipher what it is you're on about right now i'm sorry yeah <laughs> no, yeah it's yeah. funny because there's a thing okay well uh, well and you're staying up till four in the morning and yeah you're doing things just people just don't do you know really mostly <laughs> Kurt, did, did you have the idea for how to end it early on or did it present itself because i've it occurs to me that especially with the subject matter of uh, so much of the record, you know, it's like until I blacked out, thank God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like it's just like it's like yeah. the one time you're like, oh, good. I don't have to deal with this right now. Great. Yeah, right. No, for sure. I mean, that that's a real feeling of uh, I mean, I love touring. and I love being in a band. But like I said, when you're on the road for weeks on end and we sometimes run on the road for five or six weeks straight which is insane when you're making zero dollars, you know, it's not like, it's not like the sun tours I went on where it's like, Oh, now the last show of the tour is at the roundhouse in London and there are going to be 4,000 people there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> It's like, it's more like the last show of the tour is at uh, 
CBGB at three in the morning yeah. in front of your five friends, you know? Yeah. Um, and we just beat our brains out and it was no, it's no surprise. It, I'm surprised it wasn't more debilitating, honestly, but, uh, it definitely was debilitating at times. Well, uh, I think that song, that's, that's what that talks about for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that song, uh, does, does a good job of kind of summing up the whole tour experience where it's sort of like, mm-hmm. You know, there's a little bit of a fuck. Why are we doing this? And then there's also like you know the grandiose moments of like complete mundane misery and and you know yeah. like it's all like right there, but the fact that it's a little bit you know joyous might be the wrong word, but kind of up tempo and and uh, yeah right <laughs> like yeah. It, it's it's jaunty it, yeah jaunty there we go that's that's, that's a perfect term for it uh, henceforth well, you what, know there's a there's a whole thing of the imitative fallacy where if you want to convey chaos in art, you don't just make chaos. You, you do something that's oriented towards this bent towards a particular horizon right. that describes that, that, you know, in, it's informed in some way by chaos, but it's not literally chaos. So, you know, a lot of depressed, so-called depressing music goes too far, I think. And it's too, like we were talking about the cure earlier, like a lot of people like that record pornography, I think pornography is super lame because it's not, it's like a it's performative to me yeah. it's not it's not really there um but the other stuff that he did that's like um the same feeling conveyed with these like sort of voluptuous you know really inviting seductive tunes i think that's really super duper effective um and you know this song isn't super inviting necessarily but i think that if you if you don't do the poor me thing straight up and you do some <laughs> do it inside of some yeah, kind of yeah, a yeah. construct that's more has a sense of humor i mean the guitar solo is funny you know well it's it's so yeah it's awesome but it's also like the way that it comes in is completely absurd but in a good way yeah. where you're like what yeah. the what, what? Totally. it's like the wheel that. falling off your van right yeah. exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it makes it all the cooler because of it uh and mm-hmm. then i think so I mean, do you, do you, so I, I, I hope so. You, you did the uh, the Marco Collins thing. I think you played that one, if I remember if I remember correctly. We didn't do that one. There, you know. that one. What am I thinking of? Because th- this is the one you played. I mean, for obvious reasons, like you know, it's very Spartan, very very bare bones. Yeah. Did you have the idea of it being like, a, you know, this is going to be like this? This is a, this is a song for the record. You know, this this is the uh, what. <laughs> Bob Dylan, the hurricane for touring bands, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like or, no, uh, or, or is it just like, let's just not think too hard about it. Like what, what were you thinking about with Miracle Mile? I think we were thinking last song on side three, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to put a, you don't want to put one of your great ones there. So you got to put something in there. And, and, uh, I wanted it to be on the record straight along yeah, because I felt like it was descriptive and it was a, it was a change up, you know? Yeah, you can't have all fastballs, you know, or all curves. Right, you need to have some changeups mixed in there. So, yeah. Uh, drag the river. Yeah, I don't really know what I was up. To. Well, I do sort of. This this song is really just been informed by, and there's no way you would get it from the lyrics. I don't think necessarily, but Seattle in the that era when we lived there was a really fairly dark place i think in a lot of ways Mm. um i remember when that movie singles came out 
which I think maybe we talked about briefly one time on many shows. I, I seem to recall that we did. Yeah, that's I, I, my, well, it's weird. My my memory is so patchy and gets so specific about certain things, but I do remember talking about some things. Yeah, um, I think that movie is terrible, and um, one of the reasons it was so terrible was that it put this. It put what was at heart a fairly dark place and a fairly. I would say nihilistic scene. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not moralistic about drugs and, and stuff like that, but I think people do whatever they want. But it's a pretty dark place, and it was really fueled by excess of drinking and, and heroin, you know. That, that's what it was about. And then there was a lot of death that was kind of went along with that or was kind of tangentially associated with like uh, Mia Zapata from the Gets getting killed by that guy and stuff. Um, and there was just kind of a weird, and then of course Cobain killing himself. So there's all this death, and, and it didn't let up after that. You know, Lane Staley died, and, and Chris Cornell killed himself, and you know, there's a lot of fucked up shit that happened. So there's a, this kind of heavy vibe to me in the middle of the whole thing, despite everything the beating frenzy and the kind of like mania about how Seattle is this rock mecca. <laughs> right, something yeah. really something really dark about it and that song is very impressionistic but that's where it came from um and uh and there's, some, there's a bit in there about cops and stuff about how useless they are which you know i haven't moved off that because <laughs> i have no no reason to but um yeah, well, ahead of the that, that was also <laughs> that was the whole thing with the Miyazapata thing or like the yeah. green river killer or whatever like you know what the fuck you know there's all this fucked up shit happening and no one seems to care or be tuning in so i don't know that is a really odd song among our songs i don't know how we came up with it we didn't play it that much live I do like it, um, but it's definitely uh, kind of a one in terms what? of our fever. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of, you know, it's pretty heavy, but it's also got that, you know, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it kind of swings a little. It's sort of like, oh, okay. It's, but it, but yeah. it doesn't feel yeah. like tacked on or, you know, unserious, that, I guess. That's good. Yeah. there's. A, I'm trying to do a lot with the lyric and, it's very um, sort of like would be uh, Dylan Bramble type thing, and I don't know if it's successful or not, but it has a vibe. And maybe this and one I should be you're, di- you're the hurricane. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I also just like this I, that phrase "drag the river." Like nothing good happens when you have to drag the river. You know? Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, and I think that is that is a Green River thing. That, that name, not the band. Yeah, right, right. But right. even the fact that a band would call themselves Green River, you're kind of like, what the fuck, dudes? You know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a uh... seriously. You're gonna name yourself basically after this this phenomenon that costs all these like women their lives. Horrible thing. And, yeah. and you're gonna call your shitty band, you know, Green River. Give me a fucking break, you know. Um, even then, I was kind of like. In, even then, in the kind of like uh, cr- celebrity criminal, you know, 90s, 80s, 90s, there was more of a tolerance for this whole true crime thing, like it was exciting or or fun or something, you know. 
And I didn't think there was anything. I, I thought it sucked, you know, that uh, take on that, on that kind of stuff. So I mean, even now there are those, you know, a friend called them the murder, murder, murder shows where it's just, you know. Yeah. Cr- criminal forensics and, and, and uh, I, I call it my first acting jobs where people are. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know what got me off that was um, was reading Peter Sotos, reading his stuff. Which I don't read a lot of it because I think Pete is a genius and his writing is amazing, but it makes me sick. Yeah, like I can't read. I can't really yeah. read very much of it. Yeah, but uh, but reading it, you really realize, like, by being into that shit, you're part of an economy that's taking people's misery and turning it into entertainment. And uh, and he's very unflinching about that. And when you realize, oh, that's what I'm doing by reading. Yeah. The stranger beside me, or whatever, or or the fucking song for the Green River Killer, or fucking whatever. Um, I mean, there are works of art in that field, but not that many. You most <laughs> most of them are just to titillate, you know. Totally. <laughs> most yeah. of them are really, most of them are really just to try to make you feel good about feeling uh, horrified by how terrible this yeah. was, you know. But really, you're getting off on it, you know. Uh, there is so. an almost pornographic element to a lot of it oh it's totally pornographic yes exactly that is what it is and the thing i love about that guy's writing pete's writing is that he knows that and he doesn't absolve himself from what he gets out of it yeah yeah so um anyway that i i i had had that experience by that point in my life and so i was really just i wasn't into it you know and um that, that, anyway, that's where that song came out of. I love the, uh, like the economy of motion of the line. Uh, you know, they never move too fast, too far, or too soon. Yeah, cops. Yeah, oh. yeah, like bears in the corner of a national park. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I thought that, that, that's such a good. <laughs> that's a good summing up of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Salt, salt, sugar, water, and grease run for the, through the veins of the local police. Yeah. Yep. That's good. <laughs> Anybody can use that line. <laughs> and NWA it's... could have used it. Yeah, exactly. Bob Dylan could use it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It, 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 it's genre in specific, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever else on all these lyrics that are on here, whatever else that one line is a winner <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, killing my ass. So, killing my ass got its title from this cab driver we had in New York who was talking about some bullshit. I can't remember what it was, uh, but he was. Uh, he was just ranting about the city or whatever. I think it was probably about regulations. Usually cab drivers talk about how unfair the regulations they, they are. Really they really do like talk. talking about that, don't they? I've noticed yeah. that, yeah. Which they are. <laughs> uh, they are probably, but the guy was like, da 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 and I'm out here killing my ass every day for blah, 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 blah. And Andy and I just looked at each other like, killing my ass, it's amazing. <laughs> so that that's where the title came from. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and I, th- I think this song is sort of uh, it's good, but it's sort of an excuse for a guitar solo for me. Guitar solo yeah. delivery system. <laughs> yes, it's a guitar solo delivery system. Yeah, and we would play that song quite a bit, and uh, sometimes for a long time, we would play it. We would play it for many, 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 many minutes, and maybe we just rage. Yeah. Yeah. Served its purpose. Yeah, as I was gonna say, like if, you, if you have a beast, you, you 
what's the point of having a beast if you don't unleash him once in a while? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he was, he was unleashed a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, you did a lot of unleashing. <laughs> um, I, I like the... Uh, you're so sad and lonely. Uh, such a sad-eyed pony. I think that's a good, uh, that, that, that's a, yeah. a good evocative image. Like, good yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Is it pony or phony? I can't remember. Is it, is it phony? Maybe it's phony. Maybe it's phony. Maybe it's both. Maybe I've been mishearing it wrong be for 25 years. Who knows? <laughs> it might as well. It might as well be pony. <laughs> if it's not. Uh, yeah. So this is. Uh, well, and, and there's good. Yeah, yeah. Anchor the news, last chance. Like uh, it's a chance to make everyone else lose. That, that's a good. Uh, that, that's a good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good bad vibes sort of moment. <laughs> yeah. Andy had the best bad vibes. Uh, just sort of generic, uh, not generic, uh, generalized, um, misanthropic bad vibes. Yeah, yeah. Like I tended to have more like personalized bad vibes. Um, but his were just kind of like anti-human, you know, bad vibes. <laughs> well, and and um, y- you know, I, I, what I always appreciate about you guys, whenever I see you play, like whether it was you know bottom of the hill or something, like, you know, small stage, or whether it was you know, somewhere like way bigger, it, like there was always this the same kind of triangle. Like you guys were like locked right right in with everything you're doing and it's again i always use you guys well first of all as an example of how the baritone guitar could be cool but also <laughs> uh as an example of like a, a power trio like doing like you know this this is mm-hmm. this is how you do this this is how you lean into each other's strengths to um kind of make something better than the sum of its parts yeah and, and isn't necessary wasn't necessarily like playing you know a thousand notes per minute <laughs> no or going for it all the time like like everybody got you know was a utility player in their own way and, and kind of uh, yeah filled the blank spots uh, you know yeah and, and not necessarily with noise or whatever and it's you, you know I, I, I guess this is the question so much as an observation I think it was just something that again thinking about the fact that you know going down from being a four piece to being a three piece and exploring that you know it's it's not easy to kind of recreate yourself in that way yeah right did it, did it was yeah. it like something that or was it maybe it was i don't know what do i know from <laughs> i think it was because we had a um such a long period of uh of kind of um tugging in the loose ends in a way that uh where we could fit everything in you know like having a guitar player like Andy and a guitar player like Joel both going at the same time there's a lot of orchestration that happens like not through talking about it or writing anything down just listening to each other and it's like um, you know if you listen to the way Orna Coleman's bands play together there's these famous records he made with this trio of David Eisenson and I think Turnip Moffat and um, uh, and Ornette those records are a lot different than like the primetime records, which is like an eight piece band with fucking topple player and all yeah, this other yeah, shit yeah. and two bass players or whatever. <laughs> and all know? this other shit. Exactly. I, that, that's the perfect way to yeah. describe that. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's great. But yeah, <laughs> I'm a topple player. But, um, 
but you know, like jamming all that stuff in, there's a lot more intense kind of listening and, and collaboration and trying to figure out who plays where and all that stuff just with your ears, like figuring it out. But when you have three people in the band and everyone has their own space, you know where you overlap instinctively and it's more freeform, you know, naturally. I mean, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like I just, think so it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a liberation, you know, to enter into that kind of a space. I just think about like, you know, Andy going, just going, 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 and then like yeah. stops. And then Mike, Mike seems like Michael's like, Oh wait, okay. We're still going. Okay. Let's go back. <laughs> you know, just like mm-hmm. things like that, which, which is, it kills, but it's the kind of thing that if you guys weren't being so thoughtful towards everyone else's actions, I don't know necessarily if it would be able to land. And it's a, uh... yeah, you just have to listen. And we had played together for, uh, intensively for, um, five or six years when that record came out. That's a long time. And when I say intensively, I mean four or five times a week. And, and, you know, everyone in the band, Andy and I have been playing together since 85. So we've been playing for 10 years. And then Michael, you know, Michael was in the band because he slotted right into everything that we did and we heard things the same way. So uh, we just listened to each other and just, you know, knew what to do. There wasn't a lot of, um, there were no arguments that I remember, yeah. you know, about what should we do here. And it wasn't because nobody cared. It was because we were all on the same wavelength. Yeah. You know, man, that, that, that's what it's all about. In any good band that's a small band like that um, operates that way, I think, as, as a triangle. You know, every point of the triangle is important. That's how the who operates. That's how the men and men operated. Mm-hmm. That's how we tried to do it. Um, we didn't want to be that you're the backing guy for this guy or whatever. <laughs> right. You're over here sitting about your, thinking about your laundry, playing your bass line, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pumping it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Caricature of a joke. Um. I like this song when I wrote it, and um, I think Andy was really enthusiastic about the song, which just surprised me because it doesn't have a ripping guitar solo in it. But uh, <laughs> when he wrote it, I remember him saying at one point, like, this is the kind of music I want to play. I want to play this kind of music. And it's a pretty plain song, uh, but there's a... It's not as good as swings, I don't think, but it's got a similar core to it of just like pure. There's a very pure kind of emotional um, thing, and there's something kind of old about the lyric. Like yeah. it's not a, um, it's not worked, and um, and I like that about it. And I like the sentiment behind it is really, it's a sad song, but it's a, it's a pretty realistic, uh, realistic song as well. And this was, it was also, you know, written in the wake of Joel leaving the band stuff, so it's got a lot of that in there. Uh, it came and stole my friend and left a caricature of a joke. Yeah. It's <laughs> a pretty, pretty mean thing to say about somebody. But, you know, I saw, um, I was watching CNBC the other night, and this guy, Hakeem Jeffries, he's a representative from New York. He used the phrase caricature of a joke on MSNBC. Really? And I was like, did he say what I think he said? My wife's like, yeah. And I was like, is that a thing? Like, do people say that? And I Googled it and nothing came up except me, except us. And I was like, 
Is Hakeem Jeffries a Sultan fan? <laughs> and John Solomon figured it out, and he was like, well, he would have been like 25. Right. You know, when when he, he could have been at one of those knitting factory shows. The, the eight tracks, yeah, man. Yeah. But anyway, that was rad. I was happy to hear. I was happy with that. Yeah, that's that's a yeah that that's 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 weird but cool that that's a uh, weird but cool kind of moment uh yeah sure. <laughs> and uh, i don't think we played that tune a lot live um it was a little tricky to get the balance right because if something was too loud or too in your face any one element then it would be kind of out of out of whack the, the whole thing was about the ensemble sound of the band yeah. on it, it almost seemed like a a lack of a better term, like a balancing act, right? Where there's, you know, you know, there's like if, if everything goes a little bit too one way, the whole, whole McGill is gonna fall down. Yeah, and most a lot of these songs, it didn't matter if the bass was super loud or the drums were loud or the guitar was like piercing. It didn't really. It just made it different. But that song, you could wreck it pretty easily if it wasn't mixed um, right. Rain and water kind of figure heavily into this one. Yeah, yeah. Most of the record, I think, has a lot of. Shit like that. I think that's how we came up with Firewater. Was we were like, there's a lot of element uh, shit. <laughs> Not like, I mean, all music is, uh, has its own kind of relationship to mythology, and mythology is always about the elements and stuff. And Free has that album, Fire and Water, you know. Yeah. So, uh, which was not lost on us when we picked the album title. I don't think. Wow. Well, you know, <laughs> anytime you can you can be in the same category as as free and you can kind of, you know, yeah, have that be a thing. That's okay. You're doing all right. Even the bad free records are amazing. Like yeah, the ones still... that have good songs on them. Doesn't matter. Yeah, this it, band is awesome. It, it's still worth discussing and still worth being part of the conversation, right? I mean, it's, it's... oh yeah. I mean, the band <laughs> sounds amazing always, hundred percent of the time. Um. Yeah, there's there's the uh, uh, one long pull on the trigger of a loaded gun song. Obviously, yeah. you know, heavy yeah. language. A little melodramatic. Yeah, a little... <laughs> <laughs> little little over the top there, probably. Uh, what does that even mean? A long pull? I'm yeah, the, sure the, the, the long pull is kind. Of, well, to me, long pull is sort of like it's a record about drinking, right? You take a long pull. Yeah. Pull. yeah so that's no, that's what it is. Yeah. And, I shouldn't and, act like I don't know what it is. Yeah, but. I was gonna say. You know, like it's not literally a gun. It's a long pull on a, you know, bottle of something, probably. Right. Yeah. Which, which kind of comes back to the overall, overarching theme of being about drinking, <laughs> but also not, you know. Yeah. So then that uh that just leaves us with uh don't make plans this Friday. Yeah. Which is that epic song. We played this song right up to the end of the band. You know, so we played it for another uh ten or eleven years after this record came out. And um we had played it a lot when we got to the point where we recorded it. And um it's just a long depressing song about a guy who's like living in the shit apartment someplace. He's gotten booted out of his house, I think, or something. Yeah. Doesn't seem like and, things um, going very well for him. <laughs> no, things are going bad. And, um, uh, and uh, it has some great guitar playing in it. Really great. Great drumming. This was another one where you would, we would play it live and just get lost a lot. 
um, in a good way. Um, I remember, you know, vividly remember that experience of just kind of being gone <clears throat> and not knowing what's happening. The best shows are always ones I think where you start playing, and after two or three minutes, you kind of fade out mentally, and then at the end of the show, the show's over, and you're kind of like, "Oh, I guess the show's over." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, it's it's one thing to do that in it, like in. Um, if playing with sun that's the way it is every night i mean because it's automatic and yeah. you're you're nope. playing it's baked in you're basically playing a 150 note riff and once you get the riff down which is not super easy but once you do that you just you're just blissed out the whole time and it's great but when you're in a band and you're playing songs with varying tempos and there's all the shit going on you got to sing it's a little bit more rare for to enter into that space but there's some songs that whatever reason the tempo or the key or whatever the alpha waves would sync up you know in your brain with the tune and you would just kind of go through the whole thing and every time one of the reasons we played it so much is every time we played it that happened and uh, it was never a struggle it just like worked it's great yeah it's almost uh, like in its way it has almost like neil young vibes that way not that it sounds oh, yeah. like Neil cool. Young, but in that way of just like, wait, this has been going on for nine minutes? Like, what? I, what? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I had a similar relation to even being in the band, hearing that song. When we would start it, I would always feel like, ah, you know, yeah. like um, when I went to, last time I saw Neil play, it was with Crazy Horse, and <laughs> they played, uh, uh, did they start with Powderfinger? Anyway, first or second song was Powderfinger, and the instant it started, I just started crying. Yeah, because it, it I didn't, you. I, I couldn't control it. It was just yeah. like, and I talked to like a bunch of other people who saw him on that tour, and they're like, oh yeah, same thing happened to me. You know, Powderfinger started, and I just started crying. Like I don't know, I just felt like I was at home all of a sudden. You know, so there are certain tunes that. Um, we would play where you would feel that way every time and there weren't a lot of them but that that was well and it also just occurs to me that you know and i think back to that song and i think i think i listened to it and like i think that was the first time i had heard a song like that told from that perspective lyrically you know yeah of the guy that like you know, he's not he's not the hero of the story like, like no i don't even know if you should like him yeah he, maybe he might be a bit of a dick <laughs> frankly but yeah he could totally be a dick there's nothing to make you like him yeah exactly everything's sort of like well hold on it's, it's like the, the the saying of uh you know if you meet one asshole a day you met an asshole if you met two assholes a day you met two assholes if you met three assholes a day you might be the asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He complains a little bit too much. Yeah, right? it's like just a little over the line. But that said, like, you know, how can you how can you argue with like a Friday night is sacred, it's not time to be wasted? And then yeah. Doom on call is sort of like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. that that yeah. just that that levels me every time because it's just like three words where it's like oh yeah like you know like yeah. the, the reaper <laughs> the reaper's right there <laughs> yeah well you know that feeling in a kind of a normal person way like uh friday night rolls around and you're like ah the weekend and then at a certain point you remember that in a couple of days you're gonna have to go back to work right. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> looming consequence coming. It's know? only a couple days away. <laughs> yeah, it's not that far. <laughs> you know, and um, an exaggerated version of that would be at the end of a vacation. You're like, vacation's ending, and I have to. Go, I'm gonna have to go back to work in a couple of days. Yeah. But like, if you really hate your life, you know, and your one chance at escape is uh, going on a bender that lasts from Friday evening into Sunday morning, and you know, you know, after that it's going to be pretty shitty again and you're going to recognize how shitty it is you know yeah you're going to try That's to grab a, the gold a, when you can exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right well and it, it's it's you know i think there's a certain type of artist that will kind of make make a big deal of trying to uh be the troubadour of the masses or like tell you know i'm telling the common people's story and this and that and the other and like whatever and usually that's so incredibly precious and obnoxious that i can't stand it but right you know it, it occurs to me that like you know if, if through this record through all the record um you know it goes up it goes down but like there's there's different places they're explored and different types of stories that, that are told but even though it's kind of like pretty mean at certain points uh, like it's mm-hmm. also jubilant and it's just it, it 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 kind of it reminds me of drinking if that makes sense mm-hmm. and, and it's it's it, to me, it's it's like one of the best concept records because of that. You know, fucking Crimson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, I think that there's this book I like a lot by this um, Zen lady named Charlotte Beck called Nothing Special, mm-hmm. and it's about how nothing's nothing special. You know, you're not special. Yeah. Nothing that happens to you is special. Um, it's just all part of the fabric of the of the universe, and there's nothing nothing's nothing's really all that noteworthy about anything that happens to any of us you know if you get colon cancer that's not special it's you know whatever it is <laughs> something great happens to you you fall in love not it's special. notable <laughs> but it's not special yeah it's notable for you but it doesn't really mean it's there's nothing special about it and um this record is really and i think the worm in general and probably just the creative output of me and andy it's some total is about that in some part which is that you're not special nothing that happens to you is special uh there's nothing special about anything uh but that doesn't mean it's terrible that doesn't mean it's boring it just means that it's it means it's actually universal you know what i mean and but it i think i do think what happens a lot in fanfare for the common man type uh type rock music is that there's this attempt to glorify or pump up what is actually mundane, you know, like I, I think Springsteen's fine, but he does that all the time. Yeah, that's, he's you built know? a career on it. I mean, like even yeah, when, even when it rules, he's built a career on it. I mean, yes. And the reality is, no, there's nothing special about drag racing your car <laughs> and the, you know, under Friday night or whatever, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> strap your legs around my engines. Like who gives a shit? You know, you're just racing motorcycles or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why he sells records and we don't among many other things, but <laughs> that's the, not the only reason, life, but it is a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reality of life is that is not that it's mundane. It is meaningful and packed with stuff, but it's not special. Like there's fundamentally that that's why, uh, that's why things are universal, you know, is because they aren't special. They're, they're generic, they're almost generic, you know? They're, they're shared, 
and that that by definition means they're not special. Yeah. So I think that the whole rec this whole record and really a lot of our output is about that, which is not a great way to try to carve out a, a career. If you, <laughs> you know, get rich, because people want to feel special. Yeah. They want to yeah. be. We could be royals, you know, or whatever. They want to. They want to get into that kind of shit. They want to hear you're a diamond or whatever the fuck, you know. <laughs> but you're not. You're a bag of water, you know. <laughs> I don't think Rihanna could make a song called, you know, we're like a, we're like bags of water and have a, you know, platinum hit with it. But it would be the truth, yeah, as opposed yeah. to we shine like diamonds or whatever, because we don't, you know. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's a record that's rooted in kind of humanity, you know, in in our bassist and um, maybe sometimes our best form, mostly our bassist form on this record. <laughs> and um, you know, I think that's good. I think it makes it timeless. It's not an ephemeral record. I think it'll be around kind of forever, probably. And people who, who gravitate towards it pick up on that, you know. They know, they know in their heart of hearts, like all you've got is like this little blip of time on the on the rock and then, you know, that's it, you know. People are gonna forget about most of us, all of us, you know. And that's okay. It's not sad, it's just the way it is. <laughs> but to cope with it, people do all sorts of shit. And that's part of what the record's about is how you, <laughs> how you grapple with that. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to accept. <laughs> Tim, this has been Expecting great. Man. It is great. Th th thanks so much for doing this. This this has been awesome. Yeah, right on. I've enjoyed it. Did you have any? Um, I mean, th there's so many mini moods and, and songs on the record, and so many songs I love. Did you have any song I should? You think I should play us out on for the 25th 25th anniversary of Firewater by Silkworm? Well, you know, my favorites on the whole record are. Um, you already played Nurse. Um, I mean, I already played everything. So like. You know, like yeah. whatever. Like we can, we'll play it without me BSing over it and getting in the way. My favorites are Nerves, Slow Hands, Cannibal, Swings is one of my very favorites. So, you know, really any of those I think would be great. Or or don't make plans, but you do. I think you probably just got to that. Um, let's do Swings. Swings is swing, yeah, I think swings I think is Swings good. is underrated in the Pantheon. So let's let's do Swings. Tim, Agreed. This has been rad, dude. Thank you so good. much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Stay safe and. uh Catch you later. So far, so good. All right. <laughs> All right, brother. Oh, there he goes. Tim Jet. This is Silkworm. Firewater 25. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Protonic Reversal. Radio Nope. Now I know what it's like to be afraid of you. Yeah, I'm a yo. said before I realized that you're not there at least you're nothing new yeah and now I